So Rindal, I didn't know you worked on Amazon's NFT platform before. Did you keep that a secret from the laser eye friends of yours? And like whatever happened with the Amazon NFT platform? And then, yeah, just curious, like the general journey, like when did this conversation start? I came in, I knew this was coming. Udi told me before I kept the secret. It was hard to keep. Uh, when did this kind of start happening? And tell us about your journey and, and the Twitter thread. Yeah, I actually had it in the tweet thread, but then it was a much longer thread than I thought anybody would read. So I actually got involved with Taproot Wizards back in January or February. So I worked with the team to inscribe the 4Meg wizard. Like I wrote the software to do that. And then I actually wrote all the automation to inscribe the bulk of the collection and the other honorers. My version of this, and you'll have to get like Udi's perspective at some point, was when ordinals really started popping off. Eric pulled me, Eric Wall pulled me into a uh, conversation with him and Udi and Far and a few other people. And they were just, hey, do you want to try to make a four megabyte inscription? And I'm like a Bitcoin developer. So it's like, yeah, I do. Absolutely. I, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know why we're doing it, but it's like a, a mountain to climb, right? So we worked like really hard together on that. We encountered some like really funny challenges that I don't think anybody else had, but we made it happen. And I thought that was just going to be it. And then they walked me through, they had this grander vision for wizards where it wasn't just like a thing to do as a joke. It, it could actually be this, I don't know, symbol or this like mechanism where, you know, hey, what if we used NFTs to try to push Bitcoin forward, both like technically and culturally? And I think they had been trying to figure out a way of doing that before ordinals came out in a way that was consistent with Bitcoin's core ethos. But it felt weird, like doing NFTs on Ethereum, like to support Bitcoin, like that it just doesn't quite fit. And so I think when ordinals came out, they, it was like this piece of the puzzle falling into place. So I got involved initially just as like, uh, hey, this will be cool. But then as, as we talked about it and we talked through the mission and we all brainstormed some stuff and brainstorming on like what the quests were going to be and like how we want to stage the stuff out was like a lot of fun. At the time I was working on BitKey, uh, which is like Block's self-custody wallet full time. So this was very much like a nights and weekends kind of thing for me. But so I've been very heads down on that. Anybody who's done a zero to one product knows that it takes just a lot of time and focus and energy to take something from nothing and, and make a consumer facing product. And when you're doing hardware, mobile apps and like backend services for self-custody Bitcoin, like it's incredibly hard. So I've been really focused on that for the last year and a half. But it's been a lot of fun following the Ordinals ecosystem as it's been growing in fun and unexpected ways. And a couple of months ago, like started having conversations with Udi and Eric about what would it look like for me to spend more time on this. And it took a while for us to figure that out and get it right. I'm a big believer in the work that I was doing at BitKey. I love the team there. I love the product. I think it's very important. So I also wanted to just make sure that I left it on in the best possible way. So I took some extra time. But yeah, it seemed like the, the timing was right. And the thing that I wrote in the tweet thread about the challenges that I think I need to spend my time working on in Bitcoin, like I think that's very aligned with the rest of the team at Tapper Wizards. And I'm just I'm very excited to do some cool stuff and try to 
grow a bigger tent for Bitcoin and try to introduce more people to how magical Bitcoin is. In terms of reaction, I've actually been really pleasantly surprised. I was really stressed out this morning, like pushing post. I thought my ordinals friends would be excited and all of my like hardcore Puritan Bitcoin friends would disown me. And there's been some very predictable salt from some very predictable characters. But the thing that I really was not expecting was how many people in the community have just been really supportive, which has just been like lovely to see. And and there's been a lot of people that, you know, if you asked me yesterday, I thought they would have blocked me today because I'm like going to work with Udi and Eric on ordinals. But a, a fair number of, of people that I thought would be in that camp, like retweeted it and said something to the effect of this is making me look at ordinals differently or, or something, right? Which means a lot, but it means that I've built credibility and people are willing to suspend disbelief around this whole wacky adventure that we're on and maybe see where it goes. Yeah, that's super cool, Rindell. And I had a call with David Bailey briefly today and he was saying like, oh, Rindell joined Tapper Wizards. He goes, that's the final nail in the coffin for the laser eyes. They were down bad before they were defeated, but now they're like, now they're fleeing. Now they've gotten on the boat and they've left. But no, I'm sure I can see it bringing a lot of credibility for sure because just the work they've done in the past. But yeah, what about Amazon NFT, man? Tell about that. I had no idea that were you doing like solidity stuff there or building there? Nobody's heard this story. Good ordinal show exclusive here. I got into Bitcoin many years ago, like from the tech side. There's this cliche about like people doing it for the technology. So I got into classical cryptography in 2006. And most of my career has been at the intersection of really large scale network security, distributed systems and applied cryptography. So when I say applied cryptography, I'm not a mathematician, I I take the really big brain math stuff, and I figure out how to use it at scale for products and services that need to like operate in the real world. And so I had been doing I got into Bitcoin many years ago, I think I actually got my first Bitcoin from Roger Ver in 2012 at DEFCON. And I had been like doing work on using actually Shamir secret sharing for uh, protecting like healthcare data. And I discovered Bitcoin and I thought it was really cool from a technical perspective, but all of the economics like flew right over my head. And it's the same story that everybody has. Bitcoin went from 20 to 250 and I sold all my Bitcoin and thought I was like the smartest investor in the world. And then I basically just slept on Bitcoin for a while, paid attention here and there again as like a technical curiosity, and then spent some time at AWS, uh, a couple of rounds, spent some time at a large US financial institution, did a couple startups, did some like government consulting. And before I, I went back to Amazon my second time, I played a bit with DeFi stuff and got really into Lightning. I I met a bunch of other people on Clubhouse that also wanted to play with Lightning. And a bunch of us set up a little network called Plebnet. It was a Telegram group and a bunch of like Lightning nodes connected to each other. And six months later, something like a third of all the liquidity on the Lightning network was coming out of Plebnet. That was what kind of got me really excited about Bitcoin again. Like I started building little applications that used Bitcoin programmatically. And so I went back to Amazon and was working on really large scale distributed systems problems like deep in the guts of EC2. And when NFTs were really popping off, I thought we should do this on Bitcoin. 
like we should do NFTs on Bitcoin. And um, I saw RGB happening. I saw some whisperings about the thing that would end up turning into taproot assets. And so I really wanted to figure that out. I ended up finding just serendipitously an executive from a completely different part of the company that like also really wanted to do NFTs. He was coming from like the collectible space. And so he just understood these are digital collectibles, right? Like people collect other stuff. We're living our lives online. People are going to collect things online. And I was like his first hire, right? So it was like this executive and then me, I was the the principal engineer on this project. And we defined, like, we spent close to a year working with other people in the company, hiring people, building a team to start designing and building out what would an NFT offering for Amazon look like. And really wanted to do it on Bitcoin. And believe it or not, the thing that killed that idea ended up being environmental concerns. I, I won't go too much into details, but like Amazon has some very aggressive goals around being carbon neutral. And like I could make all of the maxi rhetorical points that I want. But at the end of the day, like my little baby service was going to have to buy so many carbon offsets because of how like the environmental team classified every Bitcoin transaction as burning like 100 tons of baby whales or something or like whatever the thing was. Looked at doing it on like a side chain, looked at liquid that wasn't going to work, ended up basically deciding to do like a private side chain that could bridge to something like ETH. We were in the throes of that. We like had all the approval to go get headcount and go and build it. It got a little bit mired in some cross-company politics and was moving really slow. And I just got burned out of it. And I decided the thing I actually want to work on is Bitcoin. The thing that I wake up in at the morning and, you know, I spend all day like writing code at Amazon, but I'm I'm doing it with Clubhouse or Twitter on in the background and like talking to people about Bitcoin and explaining how UTXOs work and explaining like self-custody. Like left and I went and spent maybe six months talking to startups, investors, all these people. I was really planning on doing something with like DLCs and Lightning, talked to a lot of Lightning companies, talked to a lot of other Bitcoin companies. And I made like a prototype sports betting app and went to do a Super Bowl bet with a friend of mine. And it took him about an hour to figure out like which wallet to use to get his coins out of Coinbase so he could make this $20 Super Bowl bet. And I I had this moment of, oh, shit, we could build the coolest smart contract stuff in the world, but none of it matters if people don't hold their own keys. So we should really solve self-custody first went to Block, and uh, that's how I ended up working on consumer-facing self-custody for year and, God, year and 10 months, or however long it's been. So that was my journey. I was around Bitcoin a really long time ago, but ignored it for a while. And I've been really back into it for the last couple of years. And th- th- there was this like interview that's really stuck with me where it was this Jeff Bezos thing from 20... No, I'm sorry, 1996, where somebody asked him like why are you doing a bookstore on the internet? And he was super bullish on the internet. Jeff Bezos was like, the internet is the greatest thing ever. I need to be a part of the internet. But using the internet sucks. Like you have to sit in front of this big computer. It's slow. If somebody picks up the phone, you get disconnected. It's this like you have to call somebody over the phone, read them your credit card number. It's just like miserable experience. So if we're going to get people to use the internet, we have to give them some experience that's so good 
that they're willing to put up with the crappiness that is using the internet in order to get that experience. And so the the idea behind Amazon.com is it's this bookstore that is so much bigger than any physical bookstore could be in the real world that people are like willing to put up with the difficulty of using the internet in order to like shop at that bookstore. And that idea has really just stuck in the back of my head. Like whenever I I try to think about Bitcoin stuff, there's definitely like a subset of the population for whom like sovereignty and like the man can't take my money. Like that's like really important. But, But that as a primary use case only appeals to like a subset of the population. Like there's more people who use Bitcoin after Cambridge Analytica than use Bitcoin or um, Facebook before Cambridge Analytica, right? So most people don't actually give a shit. And if, if I want more people to use Bitcoin, so we need to give people, mainstream people, a compelling reason to use Bitcoin. And sovereignty is like really important, but it's really a means, not an end. And something that really lit my brain up watching the NFT space, both like first on ETH and then with ordinals kicking off is you had like normies who don't give two shits about cryptocurrency or private keys or self-sovereignty or sound money or libertarian ideals or any of this stuff. You have like total normies sitting and watching YouTube videos, learning how to set up MetaMask and then figuring it out so that they can flip JPEGs. NFTs is such a compelling speculative game that people are willing to log through all of the difficulties and all the challenges and all the risk of cryptocurrencies in order to engage in NFTs. And I I think that's amazing. And I think we saw that play out again this year with ordinals. Casey put out ordinals and it was like a command line app. You had to install a Rust compiler to build it. You had to fully sync a Bitcoin node with TX index on and then sync this other thing that took just as long to sync. And like people are sitting in Discord rooms and helping each other do it because this new game that is Ordinals is like so good and is so much fun to play that people are learning how to sign PSBTs in Sparrow Wallet in order to do it. Right. And so I think I think the trap that I've fallen into several times in my career, and I think people continue to fall into is like, hey, we got to build all of the tooling and then the use cases will appear. Right. And I think that's backwards. Like we actually need to build the use case and the application, see if people want to use it. And then if they do, then we'll iterate on the tooling to widen the funnel and bring in more people. And I think ordinals is like such a compelling thing that's brought in so many people. I think it's an area that's like great for growth. I think it's great for growing the big tent that is Bitcoin culture and like bringing new and and different kinds of Bitcoiners in. And I think it's also a a great little domain where Trevor, like you've started companies, invested companies. When you're starting off, you don't try to go and serve the whole world on day one. Like you pick a, a use case that you can wrap your arms around And you go and you be like the best person in the world at solving that use case. And then you like land and expand. And I feel like a lot of the traps that me and other people have fallen into is it's like you look at some technical or business designs for Bitcoin stuff, and they only really make sense if like you can supplant Visa, right, which is not going to happen overnight. And I think um, there's a lot of technical 
and economic exploration and experimentation that we need to do as a community. And if we can say, hey, let's try to solve this problem for the ordinals ecosystem. And if that works, then maybe we branch out and we do tokens or stable coins or Bitcoin payments generally or something else, right? But like ordinals is this great little like laboratory where we can try new things and, and we can understand the full breadth of the space because it's not global payments, right? It's, you know, digital collectibles and digital art on Bitcoin, which is still huge, but it's a much smaller space than trying to like go straight for fiat on step one. I don't, that, that was really long and rambly. I don't know. Did any of that make sense? No, nah, man, that was great, dude. Yeah, I just want to say, man, I think you're the most reasonable and well-spoken Bitcoin hardcore dev that I have encountered in the past 12 months. And I really just want to give you this props. And I'm so happy that we have you on our side right now. And I think all of these things that you're saying make so much sense, right? And my question to you would be really, I'm not trying to like nag on anybody, but I'm really just trying to understand how people think in the laser eye community. Like, why don't people accept this? Like, why don't they really look at this from this like market point of view, builder point of view, like startup building and MVP type of point of view? Like why it's not really existing in that ecosystem? What's the main reason for that? I can speculate. I, I don't want to throw shade at any particular person or archetype. Maybe I can answer that question by giving you like some thoughts that I've had that have changed my thinking about this. Like one of the things that has been really valuable in my career is I've been at companies both like really small and very big where we like built really amazing technology. It was like we set out to solve a problem. And as an engineer, I was like very pleased and satisfied with the technical solution that we built. But it was like a solution to a problem that nobody actually had. I worked at an infrastructure automation startup a couple of years ago, and I spent like a year and a half building this really badass replicated key value store that could do all kinds of really cool stuff for infrastructure. And none of our customers like actually wanted that, like none of them. And I sat through a lot of very painful customer demos where it's, we showed them this like amazing sports car that we had built. And they're like, that's cool. Does this integrate with Active Directory? And we're like, no, it doesn't. It does all these other things. They're like, okay, that's fine. I really just need a checkbox for Active Directory. Or years ago, I was working at this like big US bank and I was tasked with building this like whole giant machine learning thing to automate away this like huge part of the stack. And I had been burned by this like startup experience. So I just went and sat next to the analysts that were going to be like my internal customers and just like, watched them for a couple of weeks. And it turns out what they actually needed were like Excel macros. And so like we just built Excel macros and their productivity skyrocketed. We didn't have to hire a million people and everybody won. And I think like some of the challenges that exist in this space, I think one of them is there's like a sense of predestination and predetermination where it's like, if, if this is obviously the best tech, so it's obviously going to win. And I think it's just the reality that a lot of times the best tech loses and it usually doesn't lose for technical reasons. It might lose because of marketing. It might lose just because the timing was wrong. It might lose because of like crazy externalities. I was at a company that basically died because our enterprise sales team like just didn't understand the space that we were in. 
And it had nothing to do with the tech. It was just like, we sucked at sales and we like had a horrible go-to-market motion. And I think that's like a thing that's not super obvious to a lot of people. And I think you have to touch the stove and get burned in order to learn that lesson a couple of times. I think another thing that's challenging about this space is Bitcoin doesn't have a super strict definition. And like maybe my perspective on this is a little bit different from a lot of the other people who are really active online because I was in Bitcoin very early and then I basically left. I was like interested in Bitcoin, but I wasn't really part of the conversation or part of the community until later. And when I started using Bitcoin, the primary use cases for it were like buying drugs on Silk Road and gambling on Satoshi Dice. Like it was quite literally internet money. Like you bought Bitcoin because you wanted to use an internet application that needed internet money. And this was like before, pay, this was uh, post PayPal, but it was like before Venmo, it was before Cash App. So the easiest way literally to send money was Bitcoin. It turns out in 2023, the easiest way to send money on the internet for most people is not Bitcoin. It's like Cash App or Apple Pay. And the narrative of what Bitcoin is good for has shifted. And now like this store of value narrative is really strong. And Bitcoin could be a good store of value if it's you know, price continues to appreciate. And I think a, a lot of people argue about that. Like Bitcoin's utility as a store of value is actually highly dependent on people speculating on Bitcoin, which is like a funny thing, but people get triggered by that. And so I think because Bitcoin can do a lot of different things, I think it's like very easy over time to shift the narrative about what Bitcoin is meant to be and do it in a way that like is unfalsifiable. Right. If you say Bitcoin is meant to be a store of value, historically it's gone up in price over any given five year period. So therefore it's a good store of value. We don't need to worry about anything because it's a good store of value. And like that's true until it isn't. And maybe that is true. Maybe it's not true. I don't know. But I think if you have other ideas about it, then like you should try other things. So I don't know if that actually answered your question. I, I think you were asking about like, why don't people take more of a markets-based approach? I, I think it's also like Bitcoin is this weird thing where it's highly technical, but also it doesn't really behave like a lot of other assets because it's not a stock. It's not a bond. It's a pseudo commodity. It's funny, like the utility value of Bitcoin is if you have Bitcoin, then you can pay transaction fees on the Bitcoin network. That's like what what like the token is. But it has a store of value because of like the hard cap and all these other things. I think for a lot of people who are very loud and active on Bitcoin, it keeps going up in value for reasons that maybe they don't fully understand. And when you combine that with like certain ideas about supply scarcity and like other things, it's easy to understand why people would assume that everything's good for Bitcoin. You don't have to do anything, just sit back and, and it'll work. And I think the reality is that there's many ways that Bitcoin could fail. And I think it's incumbent on Bitcoin users to use Bitcoin for what they want to use it for. And as long as Bitcoin will continue to be useful, it'll survive. And as soon as Bitcoin stops being useful, it'll die. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's just what it is. You know, I, I care about Bitcoin a lot. I think it's super important. I think it's a unique piece of technology. And so I want to help make it useful for more things. And that way, if it stops being useful in the future for things that it's useful for now, then we'll have more things that it's useful for. Yeah, awesome take, Rendell. When you initially wanted to put NFTs on Bitcoin, was that just because you saw like how people were using them and like how it like appealed to more non-technical users or a different class of users? 
Or do you have a background in collecting things like growing up or that kind of a thing? I thought a couple things. So I, I think the ordinals thing is a little bit different than other NFTs for a couple of reasons that seem really trivial, but are actually really important. I think the fact that they're on chain and they consume block space is actually like a really undersold property of ordinals, right? That four megabyte wizard occupies space. Like th there is no other four megabyte NFT that like occupy that block, right? Like when, when you take up that space, like nothing else can take up that space. That's as close to digital scarcity as we have. It's as scarce as Bitcoin. I've, I've got a whole rant about how like ordinals are just as real as layer one Bitcoin, but I won't go there. When I was looking at what was happening for NFTs in call it like 2020, like that time frame, my thesis at the time watching that market, I, I went and bought like two NFTs just because I wanted to see what the user experience was. And this was, was like 2020. And I, I remember I had this really funny experience where I, I read the compound white paper. And so I went and played with compound and I ended up with $20 worth of USDC on compound. And it was going to cost me $40 to get it out. And I was like, okay, this is silly. And I, I saw pain that was happening in the NFT ecosystem where mints were getting insanely expensive because of like funny DeFi exploits that were happening or something. And my thesis at the time was looking at the NFTs and where they were going, I thought that the final destination for NFTs were basically tradable or transferable DRM entitlements, right? Like you're going to have this very Prado distribution thing where it's like, there's this tiny number of NFTs that end up being like Veblen goods, right? Your board Ape or your Punk is like expensive because it's expensive, right? It's, there's going to be a small number of these NFTs that are just luxury goods. You want it because all the celebrities have it and it's expensive because it's expensive. There's like a tiny number of those. And then the huge majority of the NFTs are going to be very close to the cost of production. It'll be like you go to a 7-Eleven and next to the cash register, there's like a 99 cent NFT that you can buy, like that kind of thing. And I, I thought like the utility value of it is if you think of it as tradable digital scarcity, then it would be like a tradable DRM token. And I thought for those kinds of use cases, you don't actually need like all the insane programmability of the full-blown EVM. And in a lot of cases, the full-blown programmability of the EVM is actually a detriment because like I prototyped an NFT that once it got airdropped to your wallet, you couldn't send it. So imagine somebody sends something really offensive or whatever to your wallet. And this is before OpenSea would let you hide the contents of your wallet. So I thought you could do some good PR campaign where it's like you send stuff and people have this, this thing that they like can't get out of their wallet. Or you hear about like NFTs where it lands in somebody's wallet and they go to transfer it out and it like drains their wallet, right? Having to understand the contract for every asset in your wallet is like not something that's going to scale for a mainstream consumer audience. I'm looking at this and I was looking at the Lightning Network and I thought, man, if we could just do NFTs over Lightning, then so many of these problems go away because you need them to be cheap and fast to produce and mint. If these are really going to be like DRM entitlements, if you're going to have an NFT for a song or something, then like it needs to be cheap and fast to transfer and they need to be like regularly sized and regularly shaped. And so that was the thinking that I had for getting in on Bitcoin. And then also I thought that like the reason to do 
an NFT rather than like a centralized database is for ownership that can outlast your commercial relationship with a service provider. If you really trust Sony, right? And Sony wants to sell you music and you're like happy to trust Sony, you can just get a license from them and have an account on their server. And that's like super fast, super cheap, incredibly scalable. But the whole premise of like digital property is that at some point you want to be able to end your relationship with Sony and take your stuff with you. Or I want to be able to send it to Zach. And like maybe Zach didn't previously have a relationship and now he does, but I'm trying to exit, he's trying to enter. And so we like transfer things. And so if you're trying to think, and again, this is like 2020s, there's like Avalanche is going to kill Ethereum and like all this shit's happening, right? Like if you're just looking at all the chains that were out at the time and kind of the prevailing narratives, if I had to pick like, where do I want my property to be and feel good that it's going to still be here in 10 years or in 15 years? Like Bitcoin was the only bet, right? It was like the only option that ended up not working out for technical reasons and political reasons and cultural reasons and business reasons. But that was the motivation. And it's funny when Casey first launched the ordinals thing, I totally didn't get it. I thought he was like trying to attack coin joins or something. But when he framed it as collectible Satoshis, that flipped a switch in my brain because like, I'm a Bitcoin enthusiast. I see people online all the time collect Bitcoin paraphernalia. Like, Why wouldn't you want to collect rare sats? Right? Like, People collect like t-shirts and artwork and all this stuff that's like Bitcoin related. If you love Bitcoin, why wouldn't you want to collect like this special Bitcoin? So like a thing that I did, I have a four-year-old. I put out a bounty and I actually got some sats that were mined when my son was born. And I have them on an open dime. It's locked up really safe. But, you know, when he gets older, assuming Bitcoin's still around, I'm going to frame it and give it to him. And it's, these are like the sats from when you were born, right? Like I'm a Bitcoin enthusiast. It makes sense that I would collect these things. And then when Casey put out inscriptions, then it made more sense of, okay, the point of this is not to do super small, super fast, super cheap, like bite-sized DRM entitlement NFTs. The point of this is to do things that have value and they're like important to people. And because they're on layer one Bitcoin, they're going to be more available and more durable than other storage mediums that, that we have so far. And because they aren't a file out there on IPFS or on BitTorrent where it's like an infinite namespace because they consume like a constrained and limited namespace, like when you hold one, you know that this was like carved out of a resource that's growing at a predictable rate. And like, you can't go back into the past and change it. And I just thought that was like really cool. Who knows what's going to happen to this whole ecosystem and this whole industry. But I think that it's different from what we had before. And I think that there's a lot of cool stuff that we can do with it. Love it, man. So it was really like from a technology perspective, you were interested intellectually in NFTs as tech that kind of drew you to it. And you got the use case early on and you were dabbling with a lot of different stuff. You were dabbling with DeFi, but you were most interested in Bitcoin and you think that's going to be here for the longest. I really buy into the, there used to be this old line in Bitcoin and people don't like it anymore about altcoins or test nets. And we're going to let other people build cool stuff. And then we'll go and pick and choose the best other stuff and we'll bring it to Bitcoin. And that idea has fallen out of favor. 
And I think it's actually a really good idea, right? I'll pick on, I don't know, like the ZKP stuff that's happened. Like I, I mentioned earlier that I got into Bitcoin through kind of classical cryptography in like the mid 2000s. When I first got into cryptography, ZKPs were this like science experiment, right? It was like a dream, right? That like maybe someday in the future with like supercomputers and AI, like we'll be able to like maybe do this thing. It was like moon math. And over, it's this thing where it's Greg Maxwell, right? Like in 2015 or 16 or something. He did this amazing thing. If people haven't seen it, like you should go and look up. It was called Zero Knowledge Contingent Payment. It was this blog post that Greg Maxwell wrote in 2015. And it was like one of those things that just broke my brain and just opened my eyes to the kinds of things that we can do on Bitcoin. And like the thing that he did is um, he trustlessly bought a Sudoku solution from somebody. So he had somebody, he gave them a Sudoku puzzle and he had them produce like the solution that was encrypted with an encryption key and then a hash of that key. And he put the hash of that key in a hash lock. So in order for him to make this payment, you have to give him the decryption key. And the person gave him a zero knowledge proof that proved that the hash in his transaction was the hash of an encryption key that decrypted this blob that was like a valid Sudoku solution. It was like 2015, right? This is forever ago in crypto. And it was this like amazing thing where it's, oh shit, if we could generalize this, then we can build anything on Bitcoin, literally anything, any c- computation that you want to put money around, you can like put money around. And but it was still like very science fairy. And then the Bitcoin community decided that we weren't super interested in that. But this other altcoin decided they were interested in it. And they dumped billions of dollars into research and development. And they did the work and they built all the tooling and they did it. Okay, cool. Somebody's already paid for all of that. We should take that and figure out if we can bring it back to Bitcoin and make Bitcoin better. I am super happy to let other people foot the R&D bill and then we can just bring it back to Bitcoin, right? And for some reason, there's this weird idea that if you like go and try other stuff, then you're like not a real Bitcoiner because weren't loyal or some shit. And I think that's really backwards. For one thing, I think you can't actually make a principled argument about like why Bitcoin's the best thing in the world if you don't know what else is out in the world. But I, I think even like more practically than that, you know, like people have good ideas everywhere. Um, a lot of good ideas are very path dependent and evolve in unpredictable ways. And so I think, you know, if you want Bitcoin to be like the best out of this whole field, you have to pay attention to what other people are doing. And when they have great ideas, we steal them and we bring them back to Bitcoin and we make Bitcoin better for it. Yeah, 100%. In the corporate innovation literature, this is called the not invented here problem. And so it's a well-known thing in corporate innovation, large organizations, corporate antibodies, they're called, that destroy innovation and good ideas because they weren't invented here. And why large companies get disrupted by startups because they're blindsided and they think that they know everything. Awesome, man. Yeah, really great story. Awesome. Love it. All right, let's go to Zach. Yeah, I'm just curious, as like a prolific Bitcoin person, I'm sure you got some fun DMs from people that maybe weren't too excited. And I, I want to hear a Rindell versus Matt O'Dell ordinals debate at some point, maybe next Bitcoin review episode, you could do a song. I'm sure there'll be some explaining to do. But what's been like the reaction to some of the 
on more laser-eyed folks that you associate with? So I'll say that there's a, a very predictable set of characters that had a very predictable set of responses. But the thing that I was actually really pleasantly surprised by, and it actually means a lot to me, is there's a lot of people who... I'm like internet friends with them, but I just assumed like I was going to get blocked today. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to light these friendships on fire. And almost all of those people were incredibly supportive, both in public and in private. And there's a handful of people who said something like, I totally understand why you're doing it. Like, I don't agree, but like, I get it. Good luck. Which is like, all I could hope for. The thing that I was saying this to somebody, I don't remember if it was in a thread or on a space like two or three days ago, where somebody was saying like, oh, the future of Bitcoin is in ordinals, it's BitVM or, or something, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick on BitVM because I know Robin was on earlier, right? But like, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on Robin specifically, I was just using him as an example of something that like, a lot of laser eyed Puritan Bitcoiners would agree is like a good direction for Bitcoin. But not all of them. And you know, the, the point that I made is that like these things aren't mutually exclusive. Like me working on ordinals stuff full time in no way, shape or form like prevents Robin from doing VidVM. It in no way, shape or form like prevents friends and colleagues of mine from working on Frost for more accessible multi-sig wallets. It doesn't prevent my friends at Commerce Block from working on Mercury Layer. Like all of these things can happen in parallel some of these things will succeed, many of them will fail. So it actually makes sense for us to try a lot of things at once. And I was really pleasantly surprised. There were a lot of people that I, I really think of as being like, diehard laser eyed, like Bitcoin maximalists, who either uh, were like outright supportive, or who said something to the effect of I've been really down on ordinals, but you know, m maybe there's something else going on here that I need to understand. Which, which again, was like really nice. Like it warmed my cold, dead heart. Yeah, there are a handful of people that are like, oh, shit coiner, go fuck yourself. For sure. But I, I was actually like very pleasantly surprised. One of the things that I think has also been really nice to see is many of the Bitcoin developers who I, I know and I'm friends with and I hold in like really high regard. I think a lot of their perspective on this stuff is like, I don't get it. It's not for me. If it's a valid transaction, like who am I? Hey, we got to pay the miners. And I'm going to misquote Casey for the third time tonight. Or maybe this is an NBK thing. He said something like, the thing that protects your savings is the same thing that protects the dick butt. And I think that's really true, right? Like the reason why this works is the same reason why you can trust Bitcoin to hold your money. And so, yeah, I don't know. I've been pleasantly surprised so far from the reactions.